0: How many of you have ever had a bad experience at a restaurant before? Yeah, uh, probably probably most of us, if not all of us, after we moved here, actually we were still in the process of moving here. One of the difficulties when you move to a new town is you don't know where to eat and you don't know where anything is at. So, and no, I'm not going to talk about Bob Evans, so (laughs) if anybody's wondering, I'm not going there. Actually, I asked my wife the other day if we could go to Bob Evans so I could get biscuits and gravy. I don't know who said biscuits and gravy and connected Bob Evans for me, but it put a curse on me. And uh, she said, no, we didn't go. But anyway, so uh, for those of you that are new, you probably don't get that joke. You'll have to come back a couple weeks (laughs) and you'll understand why I say Bob Evans. But anyway, so after we first moved here, we were looking for, you know, where to go, where was a good place to to eat. And uh, someone told us, I won't tell you who said what or what restaurant, but we went to the restaurant and, and it was one of those buffet line kind of things where you could sit and you could order like Panda Grosso where you could order some things and then you know you go to the whatever. Anyway, so that's where we went and uh, we ended up getting sick from that meal. <laughs> It was the worst meal I've ever had. We ended up getting sick from it and I thought, who in the world? And then we thought that was the only restaurant around because we didn't explore. We, didn't, we hadn't gone out and explored yet. And so we started talking and thinking, Lord help us if this is the only restaurant by our church. <laughs> we're going to have difficulties you know, trying to find a place to eat. And then, and then we embarked on Howe Avenue and we realized Wow, there's a whole lot more restaurants around here than what we thought. And why in the world did they recommend this place out of all the places here on Howl? I mean, couldn't you at least say Applebee's is right down the road, you know? Uh, Anyway, so we had our bad experience. And then, of course, being from Louisiana, New Orleans, everybody wants to tell you where the good food New Orleans food is. Well, let me just help you. There is no New Orleans places outside of New Orleans, <laughs> so everybody tries. They try really hard, and, and we have found a couple good ones in the area, but, but everybody tries to mimic the Cajun stuff and the New Orleans Creole stuff. But, but anyway, so we went to this new, new place, and oh, it's, it's New Orleans. You're going to love it. <laughs> it's the best New Orleans. It's probably, the, it's probably close to what you were used to back home. We're like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. Well, let's try it out. You know, we knew that that's usually the case is you're not going to find New Orleans outside of New Orleans. But but we went. It was backwoods Mississippi food. I would not say it was anywhere close to it was collard greens and fried chicken and, you know, it was, it was Southern, but it wasn't New Orleans. <laughs> so, so if your idea of New Orleans food is it's collard greens and fried chicken and big heavy gravy and all that stuff, that's more Mississippi. But anyway, we, we found out we had our bad restaurant experiences. Y'all are tired of me talking about food because you're getting hungry. Anyway, we've also had really good restaurant experience. Anybody ever had a really good experience? We went a couple of years ago. We were in uh, Texas. And someone said, oh, you need to go to the Cheesecake Factory. You need to go down the road to the Cheesecake Anybody been to the Cheesecake Factory before? Uh, y'all are getting really hungry. I just see your, your eyes are rolling back in the back of your head this morning. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm getting to Scripture. Just stay with me for a second. So we, we go to the Cheesecake Factory, and it was the best service we've ever had. I mean, they, they waited on us. The waitress was... I mean, she needed to be in a five star restaurant. I mean, she was, she knew what she was doing. She, Zoe was following her around the restaurant. I mean, she went, she brought Zoe to get the cheesecake at the end of the meal and bring it back to our table. I mean, she's got this little two year old girl carrying, carrying cheesecake around. And I mean, she was, she knew what she was doing. She was awesome. And, and the whole reason I bring all this up is because I want you to think just a moment about what experience are people having when they come to our church. What experience are and, and we're not a restaurant, I get that, but but I want you to think about for a moment what experience are they having? I'm not necessarily talking about our friendliness or or all of the things that happen out in the foyer. All those, those do contribute to the overall experience. What I'm asking about is when they get inside this room, what are they encountering? When they step inside the sanctuary, when they step foot on the property, is there a sense of the presence of God and is there a sense of the tangible love for one another and love for the family of God? That's the question that I want to ask you today. Are When we say, I love my church, are we serious about what we're talking about or is it just empty words? You see, when we say, I love my church, it's not actionless words. There's action that has to happen behind that. And so I want to take a look at today about love through sharing. How do we share our lives with one another inside these four walls and outside these four walls? So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse 13. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Verse 13. As you're turning there, let me ask you this. How do people experience the kingdom of God in our church? How are they experiencing, whether it's Night of Hope or Wednesday night service or or Sunday morning service or any of the events that we do, how are they experiencing the kingdom of God? Let's read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt of the earth loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus gives us two metaphors here about our lives as salt and as light. Now, what are some of the properties of salt? Anybody, what are some of the different properties of salt? Okay, it's a preservative. I've heard that. It's a preservative. And so, like salt, we become a preserving agent in this world. We preserve the gospel. We preserve the ministry of the gospel and the power of God. What are some of the other uh, aspects of salt? It's, it's a cleaner. It cleanses. It's a flavor, it has flavoring agent, it's got medicinal purposes, all of those things are the the power of salt. So Jesus is comparing our lives to the power of salt, that we add flavor, that we bring healing, we bring life, we bring flavor and zest. Does your life bring flavor to those around you? Do you provide zest? (laughs) I'm not talking about someone coming up and giving you a good lick and saying, hmm, Does your life enhance the people who are around you? And then secondly, he uses the the metaphor of light. Have you ever been in a dark place before that had little or no light? A couple of uh, years ago, I went on a men's retreat, and I was walking through the woods with one of my friends, and there was no light, absolutely. I mean, we had the light of the moon, and that was it. And so as we're walking along through the woods at night, All of a sudden, what happens when you're in the woods at night and you're walking without a light? You start walking into things. Um things that freak me out called spiders. <laughs> I hate spiders. I have, a, I have a very holy fear of spiders. I can't stand spiders. And so you're walking, and then all of a sudden, what happens? You walk through the spider web, and the first thing you want to know, especially out in the middle of the woods, what kind of spider is crawling? And then there's probably nothing crawling on you, but you feel like everything's crawling on you. There's nothing, there's probably no bugs on you, but you feel like there's a tarantula crawling up your back, even though there's no tarantulas in that part of the country. You know, you just feel like you're freaking out because there's no light exposing the darkness. What happens when you turn on the light switch? Darkness leaves. What happens when you and I step into the room? There ought to be an atmosphere change when you and I walk into the room. We are to be carriers of the light and the power of God. We are to be carriers of the presence of God in such a way that there is a distinct atmosphere change that people notice the difference because resident on the inside of us, resident in our lives is the same power that we talked about earlier that raised Christ from the dead. If that resurrection life is radiant in us, it affects people around us. And so we begin to share the love of God that we've encountered with others. We become, as it were, I like this term, curators of the kingdom of God. We become handlers, stewards of the kingdom of God in our lives. We can't just say, I love my church and have no action. I love my church, but only inside these four walls. I love my church, but only this section. Now, when we love our church, there's an abundant overflow, which, by the way, I love that section too. There's... There's an abundant overflow of the power of God in our community. There's there's an overflow of what we've experienced within our community. We begin to share the life and the love of God with those around us. I want you to take a look at the New Testament church just for a moment. If you look back at the New Testament church, you know, it was said of them, they've turned the world upside down. Everywhere they went, there was miracles, there was healings. You know, the apostles' shadows were healing people. People were lining up along the streets, along the sidewalks, if you will, so that when the when the apostles came through, they could touch their clothes or shadows would fall on them, that they'd be healed or set free. That's the kind of New Testament church that I want. I want not just for not, not for me or not for somebody's name, but I want people to know that when we walk outside these doors, we're carrying something. That when we begin to minister and walk in our daily lives minister to those around us, there is power resident on the inside of us to see people healed, set free, and delivered. It's awesome. Is there power resident on the inside of you? Are you flowing? Are you operating in in the gifts that God has deposited into your life? Are you willing to love on the hurting and the broken that are outside these walls? You know, we do a great job through Night of Hope. And it's awesome to see all that God does through, through Night of Hope ministry. You know, this past, this past Wednesday we had again 250 people served and 750, 800 meals served and clothes and haircuts. And I can't even keep track. 20,000 something, 21,000 meals in total and 300 haircuts and all this. Stuff. I can't keep track of all of this. I mean, it's incredible to see what God is doing through just a simple idea like Night of Hope. God said... Meet a need that the community is not meeting. And we did that. We're meeting a need. And I, it was funny, I was talking to some of the community service ladies from another organization. And they're talking to me like I'm the authority on community outreach. And I'm standing there thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> all I know to do is open up our church doors and say whosoever will come and they're coming that's all I know that's what, that's what we're doing we're just loving on people we're sharing the love of God with our community and uh, so it's interesting to watch I, I was on the phone I've got a meeting on Tuesday at the mayor's office with, with things that are happening there that we're going to be hosting and I'm, I'm finishing up the conversation with this guy from the mayor's office and he says so how are you ready for your event tonight and I'm thinking my event tonight, what are you talking, oh, Night of Hope, yeah, that's tonight, you know, I'm just thinking, what are we, we have an event every day of the week, what are you talking about, there's a, I'm like, I'm trying to keep track of all of this, what do you say, and here, night, you know, Night of Hope, are you ready, oh yeah, we're excited about, night of Hope. how does the mayor know about Night of Hope, and so it's on their radar, God's moving and doing incredible things in our church as we share the love of God with those around us when you experience when you and i experience this love of god for ourselves it becomes our experience to share with those around us you cannot disconnect jesus says here he uses these metaphors light and light and salt you can't disconnect these metaphors that he's giving from the scriptures earlier. He's talking about the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes then flow into this metaphor of salt and light. The Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things. Uh, You know, we were okay up until that part. Okay, Jesus, we love the Beatitudes. Stop. Let's take out verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil for you because of because of my name. So you can't disconnect the life that we live. The values and the, and the virtues that we live are connected to our salt and light in the community and those around us. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in in, in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So we know that our lives have to reflect the character of God if we're going to share the love of God with those around us. You can't say, I love you, and then your character and your actions say something else. And so God's challenges us. Jesus is challenging us here with the Beatitudes saying, you've got to have the character to match up with the salt and the light that's being produced in your life. How do we produce that? We have to get in the presence of God. If you've lost your saltiness, you've got to get in to the presence of God and let him increase your saltiness. Let the presence of God get all over you and he'll make you salty again. Otherwise, You become tasteless. And Jesus said you deserve to be cast out and trampled underfoot. You're useless. You're pointless. If you call yourself a Christian, but there's no zeal or zest in your life that affects people around you, then you're worthless. So Jesus says you need to get in and allow the the character of God to be developed in your life. How does that happen? By the presence of God. You and I can't, can't just go down our checklist and make ourselves salty again. That's right. Come on. I love the story of the Ephesian church, and I'm just, I'm, I'm deviating from my notes slightly here, but, but I feel this is worth saying. You know, I love the story of the church of Ephesus. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite churches. They start off in this whirlwind of revival. I mean, absolutely full on handkerchief. I mean the Acts says Luke writes in Acts that extraordinary miracles are happening at the hands of Paul, so much so that they're taking handkerchiefs, they're tearing up Paul's clothing. And taking his handkerchiefs and giving them to sick people and demon-possessed people that they can be set free and delivered. I mean, talk about extraordinary things happening. And it, it takes note of that. Luke takes note of that. This doctor, in his natural mind, is writing and trying to extraordinary miracles. And this is how they've started. Paul goes and he finds people who are believers, they ridicule him, so he moves to another, another location and he starts teaching and preaching for eight hours a day for two years. I mean, he is absolutely blasting them with the teaching and laying on of hands and ministry. It's absolutely, absolute, 100% saturation in the presence and the Word of God. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, talk about... Absolutely awesome ministry. So much so that churches all over Asia start springing up because of the Church of Ephesus. They are church planning and launching out other ministries and other pastors and church. Awesome things are transpiring, and then you get to the Book of Revelation. It's interesting. You get to the end of things in Revelation, and what did Jesus say to the Church of Ephesus? I, I, you have done great things. You've you've hated the work of the Nicolaitans. you've had great works, you've done good works. But I hold this against you, that you've lost your first love. You've lost your saltiness. You've lost your first love. How is it that a church that could start in such fervor and passion and zeal and experience the miracles and the great things of God end up with Jesus saying about them, hey, you did all the right stuff, but you did it with the wrong motive? You did all the great things. You had all the great works. But it wasn't from the heart of love. It wasn't produced out of love. You've lost your first love. And so what did he say? Repent and do your first works over again. What was his first works? What what was the Church of Ephesus' first works? It was Paul starting the church, saturation in the presence of God, 100% in the Word, in the presence, being absolutely inundated and annihilated by the presence of God and the Word of God. That's how they started. And so I wanna say to you today, if you've lost your first love, if you've lost your zeal for the things of God, if you've lost your saltiness, this life, the absolutely most important thing that you can do. I'm not asking how many times you come to church. I'm not asking how, many, how much money you give. I'm not asking you how much you love Jesus. I'm asking this. Get in the presence of God. You can tell me all day long how much you give or where you go or what you do and all your great works. But the end of the day, is your first love as passionate as it was the day that you first met Jesus? Did he have you at hello? When you stepped into the room and Jesus said hello to you, did your light come alive? Did your life come alive? When, when Jesus walks into the room today, does your life brighten up? Does something happen to you when you sense the presence of God tangibly fill the room? Does something happen on the inside of you? That's what I'm talking about. The saltiness of God in your life. That's where we ought to be. Loving God, loving His house, loving His church, loving Him. How do we begin to affect others with this saltiness? We have to live out our values every day. Number one, we have to live out the values of the kingdom every day in our life. We have to begin to live out the values every day in the ordinary of our lives. We have to live out the ordinary times. What does that mean? You and I, as spirit-filled believers, we live in this life and we go through the ordinary, but we expect the unusual. When I go through life, I'm walking through life knowing Baby step, I'm going to worship God. Baby step, I'm going to pray. Baby step, I'm going to give. Baby step, I'm going, to, I'm going to walk in the presence of God. Baby step, I'm going to speak life and not death. Baby step, I'm. baby step, baby step. Christianity is a bunch of baby steps. And then all of a sudden, you've made a bunch of baby steps, just basic things. And you look back over your life and you say, wow, look what God has done. Look where God's brought me. It's just baby step. God's not asking you to make one giant leap for mankind. He's just saying, take a baby step. Take a baby step. Put your tithe in the offering plate. Take a baby step. Worship me. Open up your mouth and worship. Baby step. Just take the baby steps. And then while you're doing that, we expect the supernatural. We expect that God's going to do something supernatural. I expect When I wake up in the morning, I expect I'm going to have a supernatural encounter with God throughout the day. I have a divine appointment throughout that day at some point with God. I'm going to enjoy His presence, but there's going to be something unusual that happens in my day. I don't expect anything less. Why? Because I serve a supernatural God. I serve a God of the unusual. (laughs) I serve a God who wants to do the unusual in my life. And so it could be just as simple as Heather said the other day. She was... Yesterday we had the detention center kids come in and she ordered a pizza and in comes the pizza delivery person with the pizza. I don't know what's going on. Pizza person comes in delivering the pizza and all of a sudden it becomes a connection. All of a sudden, hey, why don't you come to church? God wants to touch your family. Just something simple like that you will find unusual. God is ordaining the steps of your path, God orchestrating the steps of your path, and all of a sudden, the the baby steps become unusual, become supernatural. The problem with this is that many times as Christians, we expect that the supernatural is going to replace the practical. We go to the other extreme and say, well, because I live in the supernatural, I don't have to read the Bible. God's just going to speak to me today. I don't have to have, I don't have to worship like that. I'm just going to open up my Bible and point to a scripture and then God's going to speak to me and it's going to be wonderful. I'm going to, I don't have to give, I don't have to tithe, I'll just give 5% because God's the God of supernatural and he'll just increase my ability to give. I'm going through a difficult time, but I'll just give 5% and God will bless. We expect that the things, the practical steps that God's placed in our life all of a sudden are going to disappear because we live in the supernatural. No, we step on the practical baby steps that God's ordered in our lives and we watch the supernatural happen all along the journey. He takes the baby steps and makes them incredibly unusual. All of a sudden, when you're in the Word and you're reading from Matthew chapter three, chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, all of a sudden that scripture jumps alive to you because the Spirit of God is breathing and living through that scripture, and it becomes supernatural for you, and it hits you right in your spirit man, man, I need to be a person who is humble in my spirit, I am so proud, I am so arrogant, I got so much, all of a sudden reality sets in for you, and God begins to speak to you through that scripture. As you give in the offering, all of a sudden, you're not just dropping money in a plight. It becomes a seed sown, and every seed has a miracle on the inside of it. And so I know when I sow that seed, it's going to become miraculous and produce a harvest in my life. All of a sudden, when I'm praying, it's, oh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul. To... You can tell we, you know, do our prayers. With we just, you know, we're praying our prayers. All of a sudden, our prayer life becomes supernatural. We start seeing miracles and God answer prayers and do supernatural things. In our life. Not that we pray that prayer with Zoe. I'm not quite sure where that came from. <laughs> we actually pray supernatural prayers with Zoe. We have a good time. It becomes easy in life as we're, as we're going through baby steps and we want to share the love of God, share the love of God. I'll give you this analogy, it's easy to hold the sign and preach at people and tell them they're going to hell and they need to repent. It takes a person that's walking baby steps with the Lord and, and walking and expecting the supernatural to walk up to someone and actually have a conversation and walk with them the Jesus life. Here's what I mean by that. In New Orleans, you know, where New Orleans is famous for Mardi Gras and all that wonderful stuff that goes along with Mardi Gras. And everybody always comes down and they do what, do, what do they do? They carry their big old signs, repent, you're going to hell, repent, all these signs. You know, God hates sinners, all of these things, you see it all. And, and we go out and, you know, you see all of these condemning signs and everything. Well, who wants, how does that look like love? You don't even, I can tell you exactly what sinners are going to say. You don't even know me, but you're telling me I'm going to hell, but you don't know me. You're judging me before you ever know me. I'm walking down the street. I might be a Christian and you're holding that sign in front of me telling me I'm going to hell. And so there's all these wonderful things going on. But it becomes like Jesus to walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I believe God loves you and he has a plan for your life. God wants to do something supernatural in your life. You start having that conversation. And I've seen it over and over and over again where you have those conversations. Matter of fact, one of our uh, one of our team members one time, the, the phone, one of the this is when they had pay phones, but one of the, one of the phones was still out and they answered, the phone was ringing. They answered the phone, said, hi, this is so-and-so, I'm calling for so-and-so, is he around there? And uh, the girl who answered the phone said, sir, we're in the middle of Mardi Gras and there are hundreds of thousands of people all over. I cannot find your friend. But I will tell you that God loves you and He has a plan for your life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm looking for so and so. Can you help so and so? Help me find. I'm telling you, there's hundreds of people around, but I will tell you that God loves you and He has a plan for your life. Do you know that Jesus died for your sins? He loves you that much. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Can you just, can you give me a report of what's happening at Mardi Gras? I'm trying to talk to my friend. But can you tell me about what's happening down there? I'm telling you, sir, God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. She was relentless. And so finally, the guy says, look, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such radio station, and for the past 20 minutes, you've been on live air telling everybody in the southeast Florida that God loves them and has a plan for their life. So just take the baby step. <laughs> Answer the phone. God loves you and he has a plan for your life. <laughs> Thirdly, seeing, sorry, savoring and shining for God. Being savory and shining the light of God results from our experience of God and our enjoyment of God. Are you experiencing God and enjoying God personally? You can delight in the pleasures of heaven. A lot of times we find our pleasure, we try to find our pleasure in the things of this life, relationships, sin, family, money, job, success, whatever. We try to find pleasure. Today you might be trying to find pleasure in, in something in this life. You're trying to find pleasure. And it, you know, even, it might be even golfing. It might be something good that you're trying to find your pleasure in. You like to golf. I like to go shoot, whatever it is. You know, I love, I love the shooting range and, and doing all of those things. And, and you might be fine trying to find your pleasure in that thing alone. And it might be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. But regardless of what it is, the pleasure that's brought from those things are temporary. You will enjoy them for this life. You might enjoy them even for a moment. You, you'll enjoy golf until you hit the golf ball down into the, you know, the sand pit or out into the lake, and you got to, you know, then you start breaking your clubs and throwing your clubs, and then you're, you're okay shooting your gun until it explodes in your hand, or you know, that was pleasurable for a moment, now I got to go get stitches, you know, whatever the case is. But God, you can enjoy for all eternity. You can enjoy his presence and find that you'll never run out of enjoyment. God is an eternal God. He has absolutely unending enjoyment. Pleasure that will endure for all eternity. We'll enjoy Him and know Him in this life and we'll, and we'll step into eternity and have all eternity to get to know Him and get to enjoy Him. A couple weeks ago, we started off the series with John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love of God that we experience... And the love of God that we enjoy can only be observed if you're around people. Now, if you're like me, I'm not a big people person. I'm not a chit chatter. you all know this, I'm not a very social person, I have to, I have to really push myself to be sociable. But I, why do I do that? Because I know that if I want to build relationship with people, if I want to love on people, i got to be friendly with people. I've got to push myself to talk and build relationship with people. If you want people to encounter the presence of God and the love of God that you've experienced, you've got to be around people. You've got to get around the lost. You've got to get around those who are hurting. You've got to get around those who look a little different than you, who might smell a little different than you that might look a little bit different than you and you got to wrap your arms around them begin to love on them begin to walk with them through the things of life let me ask you this if Celebration Church would cease to exist not saying that it would I'm just asking a rhetorical question if Celebration Church would cease to exist would the community around us be affected? now when we, let me answer that when we got here one of the first things that we start doing, naturally, because well, we want people to come to our church, right? Well, what, where are you pastoring? Where are you going to be pastoring? Celebration Church? Oh, I don't know where that is. So everywhere we go, we go to the restaurants, we go everywhere we go. What do you, so yeah, we just moved here. Where, where should we go? What should we do? Oh, where'd you move from? New Orleans? Oh, why'd you move from New Orleans? <laughs> why would you move to Akron to, from New Orleans? Oh, because, you know, that's always, everybody always wants to know, why would you leave New Orleans? Well, we're pastors. Oh, oh, where are you pastoring? Celebration Church? Oh, I don't know where that is. And so, you know, our our response always, next to the detention center? Oh, yeah, 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 I know where the detention center is. Everybody knew the detention center. It's funny, because in two years that we've been here, now we do the same thing. People say, oh, yeah, you're the church that does that Night of Hope thing. Oh, yeah, you're the, church, you're the church that does that big outreach and feeds people. Yeah, yeah, that's the church. And then you have, oh, this is so-and-so from the mayor's office. And what about that event that's going on tonight? So as we begin to reach out and share the love of God with others, it impacts the community around us. I would say, and I shared this at the business meeting, I'll, I'll wrap up. But at the, at the business meeting, one of the things that i discussed was what, where are we headed in 2016? What, what are we doing well? What's going on? What are we going to strengthen? What are we going to increase? And I really believe there are three areas that we're doing exceptionally well that we need to continue to grow and continue to increase in. Number one is we have great worship services. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, we have great times in the presence of the Lord together. We want to continue to see God move in the worship services. It's awesome to see right now Right now, it takes 130 volunteers to prepare for our services throughout the week. We have 130 volunteers preparing for Wednesday and Sunday services. When we got here, we had 120 volunteers. We now have 197 volunteers, people that are serving on a regular basis in ministry. That's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations, that's great. So we've, we've seen progress, we've seen growth in that. And so we're gonna continue in our worship services. Second thing that I believe we do well is our outreach through Night of Hope. We do, obviously, Night of Hope successful, but I wanna see you take what God's doing in and through you at Night of Hope and apply it in your personal life every day. And that's happening, we're seeing that happen, but let it increase. Take what you're learning and the principles you're learning and all that God's doing in your life through Night of Hope and apply it daily. And then the third area I think that we're doing really well in is leadership development. Obviously, we've gone from 120 volunteers to almost 200 in two years' time. It's awesome. It's incredible. So we have a system. That doesn't happen haphazardly. You know, it may look that way. But there are systems and things in place that are are helping enable that to happen. And so we want to continue to improve that and continue to grow and let God minister through people. My job as a pastor is to not do the work. My, and that doesn't mean I'm going to be lazy. <laughs> I, am by, I am by far, you'll never, meet, uh, you'll never meet a more active pastor than Heather and myself. We are, we are constantly going. We are nonstop ministering. We're by far not lazy people. Well, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't know what to do to be lazy. I get aggravated if I sit at home for more than 10 minutes sitting down. I've got to be up doing something, reading a book. I've got to be engaged. We're not lazy. Our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Our job is to empower you and give you the resources to engage, and we're seeing it happen. I I look around, you know, the room today, and I see the different faces of some who weren't engaged two years ago that are engaged today, and I and I look and see at people who were engaged that continue to be engaged, and new faces, and all that God's doing. It's wonderful. Keep yeah. it up. Yeah. Keep pressing into God. Don't we we don't serve. And volunteer and do the work of the ministry because we have to add or earn from God something. We do it because it becomes the delight of our lives. Someone said, this is the second time I've been asked this. I was, we were at a district event this week and someone again asked us and said, how in the world do you get that many people to volunteer? they were asking how the church was doing and they wanted, they were asking specific questions. I don't usually talk numbers, but they were asking specific questions. And so I answered and they said, how is that possible? How do you do that? And and that's the second time I've been asked that about leadership development. And I said, all I know Is that people will volunteer in the day of your power. That's all I know. That when God's power shows up, that's a verse from Psalms, by the way. That when when God shows up and he begins to minister to people, then the result of that is that we overflow and find our joy in ministering to others. So I want to encourage you, share the love of God with those around us. Share with the community. Share it with one another. Allow God to use you in a supernatural way. Begin to step outside of your comfort zone as you're taking those baby steps. You're taking the kids to the daycare. Or you're doing something with the kids or you're whatever. Look for the supernatural. Look for the divine appointments with God. Now I want to wrap up with this. At the business meeting, we talked about something that I'm very excited about, and it seemed like that the entire church was very, those at present were very excited about. Let me give you this scripture. Nehemiah 2.18 says this, Let us rise up, and they set their hands to this good work. They were looking at walls that were torn down. They were looking, the the people, the Jewish people were looking at their city that was decimated, that had been absolutely destroyed. And Nehemiah goes back and he says, I know the Lord will enable us to rebuild this city. And that's, I'm looking at Akron, Ohio. I found myself praying again today on on the way to church. Lord, would you revive this city? Lord, would you revitalize Akron, Ohio? Lord, would you come again? Lord, not don't make this city great because it's an oil or, or tire or anything like that. Lord, make this city great because it becomes a center for your glory. Lord, let people, again, know Akron, Ohio as the second Azusa Street. Lord, let them know it again as the place where your presence is visiting this country. Lord, do something again. And, uh, you know, so I found myself praying that again. I pray that prayer often. And uh, started thinking about again. What well, we talked about at the business meeting, we are, we're re- we are renovating. We're not rebuilding, thank the Lord at this point. We're not building anything, but we're, that will come in the future. We are renovating the facility that God has given us. We have, a, we have a great facility on Route 8. It's an awesome location. I mean, you can't get any better. We're right on the interstate. People, we've had so many people testify about how just driving by they felt... Felt Something on this building people have driven by and said they've seen a cloud hovering over this building. I can't tell you how many reports we've had of that and people driving off finding themselves driving off the interstate and driving into the church parking lot coming into service getting born again all of these say it's awesome so we're in a great place but we have to renovate it's time to rise up and do this good work it's time to be good stewards of what God has given our church and we want to be good stewards. We want to be here for another 65, 165, however long the Lord should tarry, years. We want to be a church that's a lighthouse, that's a light on, set on a hill. That's what we just read. We want to be the light that's set on North Hill, shining out to Akron and the Great Lakes region. So we need to renovate our building and take care of it. We want to start simple. We talked about that at the business meeting. We have a facilities committee that's uh, doing this and how they 've done research, and believe me they 've done a fabulous job at researching uh, if I, I feel like I looked at three or four hundred samples of things <laughs> um, so we want to start simple we want to start small with our with our facility we have We have carpeting if you take just go take a walk if you haven 't taken a walk, you can go take a walk in the fellowship hall or down the fellowship hall wing or go take a look in our church offices and see the carpet that's fraying or bubbling up or stained. We, we have a huge need. <laughs> we have a great need. And so we want to partner together and begin to do the renovation that's needed on our floors. And so we've taken this project, we've broken it down into three phases. Phase one is the easiest for us to begin. And the reason we're starting phase one at the Fellowship Hall and the 688 entrance over there by the nursery, one, it's easy. But two, we want you to see that as you give, we're going to be good stewards with your money. That we're going to be good stewards with what God has given this church. I believe that every penny that we need to accomplish this is sitting in the pews. It always is. Every When God gives the vision, he always gives provision. And I believe that every penny that we need to accomplish this is sitting in the pews. And so I'm trusting that you're going to hear from the Lord and you're going to trust me that we're going to, be good stewards of what God has given us, and we have been. I believe that we're, we are we do exceptionally well with the finances that God gives us, and so we're going to take that that initial giving, and we want to get the Fellowship Hall in the 688 area done. Phase two is the North Wing, which is this office wing. Again, we have we have guests and volunteers and people in our offices. Nonstop, There it is constant flow of people through our offices and it's a little embarrassing <laughs> if you go back there and take a look that that's what they're seeing. So we want to renovate and make a good impression with our with our facilities. And then thirdly is the Fellowship Hall. The reason the Fellowship Hall is last is because the whole Fellowship Hall needs to have some reno work done. And so we have to tie phase three into the whole Fellowship Hall, which is a whole other thing which we'll bring to you when that time comes. But anyway, If you'll grab your bulletin for me, if everybody would grab, hopefully you grabbed a bulletin. If you did not, you can grab them on your way out. Inside the bulletin is a faith pledge card. It's a half sheet of paper that looks like this. Now, at the business meeting, we took time to fill out faith pledge cards towards this. The reason that we did faith pledge cards towards this is because I needed to have you communicate back to me and let us know where we're at in faith of this project with regards to this project. And we had a great response. Now, I say that we had a great response, and I'll tell you what the response was. We've had, we've had 27 people turn in faith pledge cards so far. And you may say, well, that doesn't seem like a lot. Well, it's not really a lot, comparatively speaking. But I did tell everybody, take them home and pray about it. And that we would announce today where we stand so far. With 27 faith pledge cards, we are at $7,800 by faith pledged to give. Now that's awesome. That's, about, that's over $250 a pledge card that's been by faith. We're going to hear from the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you today as our congregation, our some of our key leaders, 27 of our leadership and, and core people have come together and said, we will, we will give $7,800. Today, we're bringing it to the rest of the congregation saying, we need you to embark on the journey with us. Will you make a faith pledge, hear from the Lord? What does that mean, a faith pledge? Saying, I'm going to hear from the Lord and I'm going to go over and above my tithe to give to this project to see the renovation work with our floors accomplished. That's what a faith pledge is. You're joining with us saying we want to hear from the Lord. Now, Let me also let you know this. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we're going to take a special offering on Easter Sunday, our miracle offering towards this. And the goal is that we'll raise 25% of the funds needed to do the floor. If we do that, that means we can start and finish phase one and start phase two if we do that. So we need everybody to come prepared. I'm not asking you to give today to this project. I'm asking you to hear from the Lord today. That's all I'm at. I'm not asking you to start. If you want to start giving, that's fine. And you can market floor reno. But what I'm asking you to do is to hear from the Lord. I'm not asking you to start putting money down. I want you to hear from the Lord and say, God, what would you have us give towards this renovation project? And then next Sunday, Easter Sunday, come prepared to give your first offering. You may come prepared with you $5,000. You may come prepared with you know, a dollar. Whatever it is, just come prepared to start giving towards the renovation work as we share now the reason I'm talking about all this with today's message is because we're sharing the love of God with our community. I want you to think about all that happens in this building from services, kids ministry, we have rentals, we had um, things in here this we I mean we have a constant flow of activity in this building and doing this helps us be good stewards and making a place that's comfortable for ministry to happen to our community. So I want us to pray together over these faith pledges, and the whole... Pro- oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. My wonderful wife's keep, keeping me on track here. There, there's not numbers up there. The phase one is $5,000. Phase two is uh dollars and phase three. It ends up being 30000 for the entire flooring. That's commercial flooring that's going to last. It has a warranty. It's going to last. It's long-term. We're talking long-term flooring. And it's going to be nice. It's going to be something that not only looks good but it's going to last. So that's what we want. So let's pray over these and then we'll move on. I'm going to ask the ushers, we're going to collect these and so I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll get ready uh, to collect these uh, after we pray. Uh, You don't have to be involved with this. Do I have to fill this out? No, you don't have to fill this out. There's no compulsion here but I'm just asking you to partner with us, to have faith together with us. That, that we're going to be able to take care of and be a good steward of what God's given us. So if the ushers want to go ahead and get ready to collect these, that would be wonderful. And let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our church family. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our church. We've seen incredible things take place over this past couple of years. Lord, we've seen people's lives transformed. Lord, we've seen so many new faces come through and get connected. Lord, we thank you for all the ministry, all that's happening. And so, Lord, we know that that we have to be good stewards of what you've given us with our facility as well. Not only do we have to take care of the spiritual needs, but we have to take care of the physical needs as well. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us, Lord, even as we pray together today, that you would speak to us regarding these pledges. Lord, would we do 25 or 50 or a one-time gift of 1,000 or more? Lord, whatever it is, Lord, give us clear direction in Jesus' name. Now, before uh, the ushers move, let me say this and I forgot to share this, I shared this at the business meeting, but if everybody in our church who gives, gave $25 a week for eight weeks, we would meet our goal. So we're not asking anything major, but if everybody in our church, if you think about that, if everybody in our church who gave, gave over and above their tithe $25 a week for eight weeks, we would meet our goal with this. And so, I'm just asking you, some will give more, some will give less. I understand that. But I'm just asking you to hear from the Lord and trusting. Amen? Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccakron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father,